finds Draymond Green. Green to the basket, kicks it out of Godala. Thompson for three. Bang! Play Thompson from downtown. It's a six-point lead. Timeout Rockets. A stone Toyota Center crowd has watched a seven-point fourth-quarter lead. Yo, 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 guys, what is up? And welcome back to another episode of the Game 6 Clay Podcast. It's your boy Gotham, my boy Matt, here on Championship Sunday. It, yes, and it is Championship Sunday, ladies and gentlemen, for football. Go Niners. Got my got my uh, OG Trey Lance jersey on. Been lucky all year. Got the playoff beard rocking. Um, time to be Philly. But uh, as always on this podcast, we're covering uh, our very own Golden State Warriors. Uh, before we get into it, Matt, how we doing, brother? Doing good, man. I'm looking forward to the game later on. Again, you got thanks to you guys for uh, getting me more into that shit. So appreciate it. Um, good season to get into. Solid, it, man. man. Yeah, the good, good weekend, good week. I'm, uh, I'm glad we're back on on the pod, man. It's been, it feels like it's been a couple weeks. I know it hasn't been, but looking forward to it, dude. How about you? So it's been great, man. You know, just uh, I was telling Matt earlier, just getting back into the swing of things. Uh, play some hoop this week. It's been a couple weeks now uh, since I've completed my own rehab. Um, shout out Clay Thompson for the inspiration. Uh, we're missing our boy Chuck on this one. He's up in the mountains exploring. Uh, so Chuck, once you catch this one, hope you enjoy this episode as always, brother. Uh, but Matt, let's just jump right into it, man. Um, the Dubs are on a two-game winning streak. Woo! I think it's the first time all season. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but first time all year, they've won back-to-back games. Um, sitting comfortably one game over 500, 25 and 24, um, as they close out that homestand. Just just talk to me about what you saw in that Raptors game. Um, let's just pick it up right there, man. Uh, it was a good it was a good win. Um, obviously, a, a young, uh, talented Raptors team that's obviously um, going through some own their own problems just with uh, trade rumors and you know people wanting out, whatever it is. But um, just a long defensive or athletic team that you know can can take advantage of teams that turn it over like the Warriors. But um, just great, great ball movement. I think they finished with sixty two uh, points in the paint. Um, the ball was moving. I think it was 40-something assists. Um, so it, it really looked like Warriors basketball and kind of continuing on this trend that the Warriors have been on since that Boston game, I want to say, in Boston. Obviously, didn't pick up the wins, but they're starting to, you know, really put together some good performances and 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 really starting to rack up some of these Ws. Yeah, I'm, I'm more confident than I was a week ago, for sure, but it's just hard to see kind of – it's hard to predict any kind of sustained excellence right now. Um I really, that was a good win. I mean, again, they, they ended up covering, I think, they covered the spread for sure. They won by 12 or 13 points, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, always a good thing, right? Um, ended up for, for a team that has had what it feels like no more than three or four comfortable wins. It's just good to get those every now and then. That game was close for most of it. And, um, you know, even going into the fourth quarter, if it wasn't for Kaminga's just ridiculous Clay oh, yeah. Thompson stretch to close, um, four for four, four for four from three. Yeah. Just, Entertaining game, and like you said, this is just the kind of team that gives the Warriors trouble. They're they're not huge, but they're really long, um, and they're big for the wings they have. So it wasn't surprising that it was a close game. But like you always say, man, a win's a win, right? And this is uh, getting above five hundred is huge, and you got to hope that this is a the kind of win that builds the momentum. And I think it's you know, before we head anywhere else, I think it's really worth saying that Kuminga just seems to be coming out he didn't have a great first half he kind of looked a little lost a little tentative but that second half he obviously was yeah the Raptors were were trying to force the ball into his hands at the end and make sure that he was the guy taking those shots and he made them pay for it which you know 20 year old non-shooting wing going four for four that's just that's stones man that's a that's a big shot from a guy like that so um shots Kaminga and it's just it's looking more and more like they got to start rolling with him you know at minimum 25 minutes a game because he just gives them between the point of attack defense, the uh, ability to actually put pressure on the rim. They don't have anybody else like him right now. And even, you know, the deadline coming, we'll get to that. I'm sure in a minute, but um, even with the deadline coming, you don't, you don't anticipate they're getting a guy like that anywhere else. So they need him. They need to keep playing him. And he's, he looks like he's really earned these minutes he's getting so far. Thousand percent. I mean, I think, you summed it up great, man. Kuminga has just stepped into the role that, you know, we as an organization, obviously the, the, the trend has been to focus on these young guys and, you know, hope that they can develop into, you know, rotation pieces. And that's exactly what Kuminga has done this season. I mean, from going to, from the beginning of the year, having so many DNPs and, you know, weren't sure exactly, you know, what the progression was looking like uh, with Wiseman, Moody and Kuminga. 
Um, and for JK to really come out and it, it seems like he's earned Curtis trust um, just even from the beginning of the year, um, working his way into a, into a role that, you know, he's helping this team on, on a nightly basis. Like you said, um, on the point of attack defense, um, his ability just to get to the rim, the Warriors don't have, they're an older team, um, just core wise, they're an older team. Um, and so to have a young guy that's so athletic can defend one through five damn near. Um, and he's a, and he's, he's got a nice jump shot, man. I, I've always saw Kaminga's had a solid, solid stroke. Um, you saw Clay kind of break it down in the post game, just with the elbows locked in and everything looking good. So, uh, for him to develop that even more and just to be a threat, um, to shoot, um, just going to open everything up more up for him, just driving in the basket, getting to the, uh, getting the foul line. So, um, Kaminga's been great. Another guy I want to shout out, man, is Dante DiVincenzo. Um, what a, what an addition, um, for, for, for an office that we have been given a lot of, uh, a lot of flack for just with lack of moves or whatever it is um, that we want to say the Dante DiVincenzo signing has been an incredible asset to this team. Um, just his ability to play, make uh, guard, you know, some of the best guards um, hit a three, um, get to the rim. Like Dante has been such a, such a great uh, valuable piece just to play with guys like Steph clay. You can play him with the old guys. You can play him with the young guys. It feels like whenever he's out on the court, he's making the right decision um, you know, finishing him with 11 assists last game of career high for him. So, um, just, just really happy with the way some of these bench players are kind of ro- forming into their own roles. And, you know, it, it's, it's an important time of the season though, as, as I think Steph said it after the game, like the Warriors are, you just got a stack of points, um, at this point. Uh, as we all know, the West is wide open. Uh, either way, you know, you, you go on a bad stretch like the Warriors have been on. You know, you could easily be the 13th seed. Um, you get a good stretch here. Um, the Warriors could easily, easily be in the top three, four. So it's a very, very crucial part of the season. And to see guys, you know, stepping into that role and, and being able to close out games, win games um, like they did on uh, against Memphis, against Toronto. Um, it's just great building blocks um, for this team. And, you know, they're, they're, you can legitimately say now that they're eight deep. Um, you have eight guys solidified that you can trust um, to run out there. And so now it's just about, you know, finding that last, you know, that last little piece, whether that's you know, Jermichael Green has played some great minutes um, since he's come back. Um, I think he's been a solid, um, solid big man presence that the Warriors have needed some size some physicality down low, um, grabbing board. So um, you're seeing the team kind of morph together. They're finding ways to win. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it feels like, you know, we said this, I think four or five times this year, but it feels like they're starting to turn a corner and it started the Boston game. But Matt, I want to get your take on this. When, when you say is the, when you think is it appropriate for us to say that the season has officially taken a turn? Has it already taken a turn? Are we, are we on the right track or, or what do you, what do you need to see for you, for you to be comfortable to say we're back on track? Nice muted right there. Love it. What a dummy. Jeez. Uh, before I even get there, I want to, I want to talk uh, real quick a little more about DiVincenzo just because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he the Warriors' sixth best player right now? Is he there? Is he where, where? How do you compare him and Poole right now? I know Poole is obviously like he's far more talented. He's he's far more of a bucket. It's not close offensively. It's at least scoring the ball. It's not close, but it's not it's not nothing that I think every single person watching a Warriors game or on that roster feels better about DiVincenzo being on the floor at the end of a game than Jordan Poole, and he feels like yeah. a way better fit with. Um, you know, they're going to go with three guards. We're going to get to that later on, listener questions. But um, he fits way better with Clay and Steph than, than Poole does, it seems like. I just think the guy's been so good, and he's been such a key to unlocking a lot of these small lineups. He's really good with uh, Kuminga. Um, he moves the ball. He's he's just he's not GP2, but he's just really frisky on defense. His hands are everywhere. He's, he's just, a hooper, man. He's, really, he's just a good basketball player, and it's, it's not – I wouldn't call it concerning. I just think it's a fun, fun, it's fun food for thought to think about where he and Poole kind of lie right now on the spectrum of, you know, Warriors success because I just trust that guy out there. Like, I actually, not that I just trust him, I want him out there at the end of games more than, totally. and if I'm being totally honest, there are certain points where I'd like him out there more than Clay. And that's not to say, um, that depends on, the, on what Clay's doing, right? If Clay's having yeah. a, a good Clay night where he's, you know, uh, either hitting everything or taking good shots. You want Clay out there, obviously, right? But on those nights where, you know, like against Brooklyn last week, for example, okay, Clay and Steph are isoing Seth Curry over and over again, whatever that might be, that kind of situation. I, I 
I don't know. What do you think about DiVincenzo being a more important player than Pool right now? Or maybe more important is the wrong word. Maybe more steadying. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to quantify importance just with, you know, you guys, you guys so much like just, I don't want to say star power, but in terms of just like the, what they can do, like guys like Clay and Pool. Um, obviously, Clay is, is is seemingly starting to figure it out. Um, he's looks put great. together. Look great for a while. He's had a few off games, um, but he's looked pretty great. And you know that's going to come with the territory of just being a shooter. Um, and a guy like JP, man, like again, it's a, it, the the stuff that we're seeing from him, uh, like the growth that he's making is is so is so great. And just it's the part of the. I gotta, I gotta the, get you off real quick, guys. For those, no one's. I know it is on YouTube. That's fine. I forgot it's on YouTube now. Um, when I was saying that, but I made a suggestion that Dimitrenko might be more important than Pool. Gotham gave me a smirk, like this stupid motherfucker. What is he going to say? Nah, so. you were on something, man. You're on <laughs> something, and. Um, like it, with with Jordan, it's it's more so like it's the growing pains, like the developmental pains that you're gonna have to live with. The guy's 23, man. Like he's gonna he's a flashy guy. He wants he he wants to make the home run play, and a lot of times he does. Like to his credit, like he's he's a guy that has that ability, kind of like Steph, where you know you're shooting 35 footers and you and they they make them. Like and even that shot that got they got that got Steph ejected um, with the mouthpiece and everything. Like if Jordan makes that shot. The first person celebrating with him is Steph, and like the game's pretty much over at that point. So you live with those um, growing pains. But a guy like Dante, like you said, I mean, he's just so steady. Um, you know exactly what he's going to give you. Um, the effort's never going to be in question with him. Um, and like you said, he's he's a guy that down the stretch, uh, Steve Kerr trusts him. I think Steph trusts him. Clay trusts like the whole team trusts him. And to have a guy like that, kind of like an Andre Iguodala esque you know, GP2S kind of guy where just a jack of all trades, you can, you've got no worries about him making the right play. So, um, yeah, importance-wise, he's, he's definitely up there in terms of who the Warriors can play out, um, especially in a closing lineup. Um, I love seeing him out there in that closing lineup against Toronto. Um, obviously, Jordan didn't get didn't get the nod. And, you know, sometimes that's, that's really what you need. Um, it's hard to play a line. I know it's one of the listener questions, but it's hard to play a lineup with Steph, Clay, and Jordan with uh, to, to get stops. You know, those – those guys aren't, you know, obviously Steph is, is, is what he, he's a solid defender. Jordan's still, you know, making, making strides on the, on that end of, on the court. And Clay's doing a much better job, but having a guy like DiVincenzo next to Steph, um, just you're able to play Steph off the ball, uh, off the, off their best guard and it, let Dante and Clay kind of take that. Um, you throw Wiggins in there once he's healthy. Like you have a solid group of defenders that, that can really lock down when, when you need to. So, um, importance wise, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't, I, I won't, or I won't argue with anyone that says Dante DiVincenzo's, you know, top five, top six, most important. He, over. he really just feels like we kind of do this every year, right? Since pretty much since that last KD year, after which, um, the Warriors traded Iguodala to the Grizzlies and there's that whole fiasco. We kind of always do this thing like, oh, who's the new Iguodala? Like, who's that guy that actually is? And it feels like, you know, 28 was nobody, right? I don't know. Was it, was it Kai Bowman? I don't know. Um, I've been. 21. <laughs> Alfonso McKinney, man. That's the point. We had in 21, there was an IQ that would make Andre Iguodala just, you know, break some clipboards. 22, we kind of, I think we did like auto quarter sometimes, but he's just not the same type of player, right? I think having a guy like DiVincenzo who can actually make plays for his teammates or make them not the next pass, um, just finds everybody. And again, just a stud on both ends. We haven't had that since 19 Iguodala probably. And it feels like yeah. this guy is just so important, whatever and however far the Warriors get this year. Uh, to answer your question about when the season's back on track, uh, this is what I like. I see you, you're like the ultimate, you know, again, Gotham-ist, right? Gotham optimism, right? Um, I know after, after a big win, like I forget if it was the Grizzlies or the uh, Raptors, but you kind of tweeted something like season's back on track. We're chilling. Right. And I wish I had that piece. Uh, I don't. I think for me to actually feel like this team is is back on, it's gonna take a lot, man. Like I'm not. They're they're a game over 500, 50 games into the season. You know, I, I think it's gonna for me. It's gonna be. Are they the four seed with three to four games separation between them and four and five? Right, maybe within a game or two mm-hmm. of of three. But up until that point, it's it's just so fickle. Like the Lakers last night in losing the game to the Celtics, I think they had an opportunity to slide the. Eight, I think eight or seven, and instead they're back in thirteenth, right? And the Warriors are not, um, not in a position where that's not inconceivable for them. And even with the schedule coming out, like it's just not. It's going to take a four, five, six, seven, eight game win streak for me to yeah. feel like this team is where it's supposed to be. And on top of that, other teams have to lose just because of how bunched up the standings are. So again, four seed for me, having at least one home court series, and uh, being 
you know, three to four games ahead. But otherwise, though, I'm not I'm not getting my hopes up. Uh, we'll see what happens. I'm loving what I'm seeing from their top eight right now, but uh, it's going to take quite a bit for me to feel like things are going how they're supposed to. And that's and I think that's completely fair. And I think you know a lot of my uh, optimism is also based on like just in the moment stuff. Like uh, that Grizzlies game was a great win to win and to build off that on that Toronto one. So I, I, I like I said from the Boston game, it it felt like the um, the defensive effort's been better. Um, they're getting better shots. They, they, there was a stretch during. It might have been like that Pistons magic time where they were just hucking up threes, like just bad shots. And it feels like the shots are generating now are much better. There, there's a concerted effort to move the ball. Um, obviously 40 assists um, last game against the Raptors. So um, in terms of the play, I, I feel like it, they've taken a, they've taken a step in the right direction to turn the corner. But uh, for me, it's good. It's, it's actually going to be this upcoming three game trip. I think they got um the Thunder, the Timberwolves, and then the Nuggets. Um, huge, all three on huge the road. stretch. Huge three. They have, games da- they have Dallas next Saturday as well. Oh, they're, they're, yeah, this this next like ten game stretch, I think, going into going into the All Star break, they they're playing. I want to say seven or eight Western Conference teams in that whole just like bloodbath that that the West is right now. So, yeah, I, I think that this upcoming stretch is really going to be is really going to be indicative of what this team is. Are they? Are they the 500 team that they've been? Um, I have not believed that. I think they're, they've been playing down to, you know, whatever it is. They haven't been playing well. Um, this, these last few games look like more so Warriors basketball. Um, but again, you got to keep, you got to keep building on, building on this pile of W. So I agree with you until they can, you know, put together a stretch of, you know, a four or five game win streak and, you know, really start to create some separation. I don't, I don't necessarily think that they have to be, you know, a certain seed or, or certain games above. It's more so for me about the play. And the play is definitely started to, you know, take a turn. But um, this upcoming three-game stretch against, you know, this team hasn't done that well on the road. They've started to figure it out. They had a decent, I think it was three and two on that last road trip. Um, so now against teams that you're you're legitimately competing against um, for seeding, um, it's important. Um, so this next stretch is definitely these next ten games. I think if they can go, you know, seven and three, eight and two. Um, you know that's 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 for me going to clearly tell me that you know they've they've taken they've they've uh, you know the season's back on track or or they're trending in the right direction. But you know before we get ahead to there, I I, I am going to say that I, I do like the way that they've been playing um, these yeah. last you know five six games. So um, I, you know obviously they they've dropped a couple of there, but even that Nets game that was kind of a meltdown in the end. Um, you know they've had it. They had a 16, 17 point lead, and um, they've been playing you know better basketball. You're seeing guys like like we talked about Kaminga, Divincenzo kind of stepping up. Um, Jordan Poole, Steph, Steph's getting his his legs back under him as well. So it seems like every everything's starting to come together. Um, but again, uh, with this team especially, uh, unlike years in, in like teams in years past, you know we got to see it to believe it. Um, and and I truly believe that. So I think this next stretch is going to be good for him. But um, you know we got we got to just wait and see. Yeah, I like I, I fully agree that they're playing better. And it also just feels that they're finding, you know, more consistent combinations of what works. And yeah. I think that again, we could be we've sung their praises immensely, but just having guys like Kaminga and DiVincenzo out there, it just feels really steady. And it feels like when you have Kaminga out there on the ball, you feel good about your point of attack defense. When you have DiVincenzo out there, you feel good about, you know, shot distribution, uh, taking care of the basketball. And it feels like it felt like early in the season that wasn't really what they had. So um I fully agree. And on the note of this next stretch, the Warriors have it's seven straight games against the Western Conference coming up. All teams that are in that same, you know, it's vicinity, a gold mine right uh, vicinity of them. I almost said same placenta as them. That was weird. But uh <laughs> yeah. So they've got these uh they've got the Thunder who are right there next to them, the T Wolves, who I think are a little bit ahead of them now, the Nuggets, who they will not be catching this year, barring some, you know, Collapse. eighteen and two stretch they had uh last year to start the season. The Mavericks game is a huge game. That's a huge. Uh, is Luca is Luca out? I know he hurt. His he hurt ankle. his ankle. I don't think it was bad. I think it was a called a mild sprain, okay. um, if I remember okay. correctly. And then the Thunder and the Blazers again. It's just a huge, huge seven game stretch here. Or six games, seven game stretch. They have the Lakers again. That's just. I think the Most Lakers are a game, a game and a half behind the Warriors right now. So who knows what happens between now and then? Um, just huge, and I think that actually takes us right to the deadline as well. So the Lakers are the first game they have after the trade deadline, and I fully expect that Lakers roster to be a lot better, to be honest, after that 100%. point. So TBD, but yeah, I fully agree they're playing. Um, this team's playing way better basketball. And, you know, I I think as, assuming health, which, again, I don't know. I can't assume anything with this team anymore. Um, but assuming, assuming health, man, assuming they stay healthy and um, 
the guys who have been producing keep producing. I think they're in good shape for the next little bit. I I won't be surprised if they are kind of where I was um, hoping they'd be. And that's a lie. Okay. I will be surprised to be clear, but <laughs> um, I, I, it's, it's totally conceivable, but um, Gotham. Uh, what's next in this thing, man? Uh, you know, I, it's, it's the, been the biggest cloud hanging over um, on this entire team for this season. Um and we've talked about this a lot, and I think Warriors fans and Warriors Twitter has it's, – it's a civil war, really, um, at this point. It's it's the Joe Lacob aspect of this whole thing, man. Anthony Slater dropped this article on The Athletic, um, kind of just giving us a little insight into where this team's at. Obviously, Bob Myers has been this, such a uh, such a great asset to this team, best general manager, four championships in a, in a dynasty. Like, you, you ride with that guy, but – you know, you're just hearing a lot of stuff um, outside of the team being where where is this team going? Like it's it's genuinely a concern um, at this point where you've got Joe Lacob, who's obviously got his 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 pride, whatever it is, is invested into this youth movement. And you've got Bob Meyer, Steve Kerr and, and the, the main core that's won you these four rings that are saying like, hey, we can we can keep winning. We just need some pieces, um, and we don't know if it's that if that's the young guys um, specifically, Wiseman, Moody, whoever it is. You know, you've got whatever it is, five, six roster spots of, of young guys and and unplayable unplayable pieces at this point. So I mean, it's it's. I just want to get your take, man. Uh, that Slater article was very one of the first times we really had some some cracks in this front office versus the players and and the dynasty, whatever it is. Um, just what, what you take on that, man. Like it, it feels like, you know, obviously, you know, this thing is going to come to an end at some point. Um, but is it too premature? Are, is Joe Lacob really at this point pivoting off too early? Um, what, like, it, it's, it, this is obviously like the biggest, the biggest cloud hanging over this team. You got so much of the old that, uh, that's up, up in the air with Clay's contract with Draymond. Uh, his extension uh, with Bob Myers and Steve Kerr also is a uh, free agent at the end of next season, I want to say. So, you know, this could be one of the last rides that this team has if, if Joe Lacob sta- stands kind of where he's at. So just your thoughts, man, on what, what's the right way to go about this? And like, I like, I, yeah, like what's the, what's the right way to go about this? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, a lot of this stuff, I just said kind of rehash and, um, go check out the full article guys. If you haven't yet Slater and Marcus Thompson and, um, it was either Seth Parton now or Sam Amick who, uh, contributed. So go check it out if you haven't yet, but kind of the gist is just a lot of disconnect in the Warriors, you know, brass, like you were saying, Gotham, and it doesn't just kind of, I don't know. It doesn't feel to me like this is the first beginning of, of the disconnect. It feels like this is the first, this is the first kind of public instance of, of us hearing about it as, uh, explicitly as we are. Um, a lot of stuff about Laka being really, really involved. A lot of stuff about, you know, suggestions of perhaps some, some, um, dissatisfaction inside Bob Myers about where he stands as far as pay. And like you said, a four time champion has built some of the best rosters, you know, in the last, 30, 40 years, if we're being realistic, right? Um, so the guy deserves everything that um, he probably, he feels he does. Uh, and just a lot of, just over-involvement and just a lot of chaos and disconnect and dissonance in the front office between, you know, Steve Kerr, Bob Myers, the Warriors kind of core guys and Steph and Clay and Draymond, um, you know, wanting to compete. And there's a line in there about Steph, Steph right now insisting this team can still compete, which if I'm insisting something, it generally implies that my, my, uh, interpretation is that somebody's saying the opposite, right? Um, and somebody's pushing back on the idea. And I don't think, I think it's obvious this team can still compete. I mean, again, there's, they won title seven, who, eight. Who won ago. a championship last year? Yeah, no, it's not. It's, it's, it's a silly, silly deal. And I get the fact like the season got off to a rocky start. I think it's pretty obvious as to why they got off of that rocky start, right? I mean, but there's, um, the emphasis on playing young guys that probably shouldn't have been playing. Draymond Green punched Jordan Poole in the face. You know, there wasn't a whole lot. Wasn't a whole lot of uh, great news to start the season. A lot of great moves to start the season. So the whole thing was just it was it's, it was concerning. It's a concerning article, and it was kind of validating of of a lot of concerns we've all kind of expressed over the last year or two about um, just where this franchise could be headed post Steph or towards the end of Steph's career. And I think that's all totally it's totally reasonable, and even more so now to be worried about those things. Right? Um, I'm going to hold out hope, uh, really pessimistic hope, and until 
until the shift goes down, I'm going to believe they ride with Steph. And I can't imagine, I can't imagine to be clear, but it'd be, it would still be pretty shocking if this team goes in a direction that's, uh, you know, not windward with what Steph wants. You know, if, if Steph is, again, he's still one of the best, you know, in some people's opinion, best player on earth. I don't, I think inarguably one of the best three or four players on the planet still, um, Draymond oh, yeah. is still one of the best, if not the best defender on planet earth. Um, and all the roster stuff, the starting lineup numbers are insane. I mean, it doesn't even matter at this point. You have, you have the best three players, the best trio, I guess, not the best three players necessarily. Steph's the best player, obviously of all time for the Warriors, but, um, best trio this franchise has ever had. And you just gotta, we're all on the same page in this and now they got to ride this till the wheels fall off. And so 100%. I, I can't imagine this goes a different direction. It is disturbing to hear how involved Joe Lacob is in all honesty for a guy. I mean, there's two quotes that have popped around one from Slater and one from um, either Monty Poole or Kareth Burke about Joe Lacob thinking he knows a lot about basketball. And there's a quote specifically that the, both the, both Slater and one of those two said about, he plays a lot of basketball. He plays a lot of basketball and therefore thinks he can, um, and then you know, same here. I don't know building if draft boards. Teams. Yeah, he's building draft boards and all this stuff. And it's I can't imagine being you know nine-time champion Steve Kerr, UCLA national championship champion Bob Myers, architect of the you know the Stanley Warriors. Yeah, you know I can't imagine being those guys and having to have to contend with the Joe Lacobs. You know, fantastical ambitions about what he's capable of as a as a roster builder you know when hey, 2k 2k is on sale so i mean okay, Joe Lacob, go my team that shit man like hey, go, maybe go he, knock yourself out yeah like the way so, i the way i see it man is like regardless of how this plays out like I, they could win zero championships from here on out you owe it to steph clay and draymond for what they've already brought to this organization this organization hadn't won a championship since 1975 they made the playoffs once before the steph curry era and regardless of what you said, that he bought the team for what is it with four hundred fifty million dollars, they're valued at seven million dollars. Dude, they're valued at seven billion with a B right now. Um, and Joe Lacob is the owner. I, you know, I'm not taking anything away from that. Like, obviously, he's the owner. He's given us a lot of like people. There were people I, I, I spoke out about against like Lacob, like you know, uh, potentially harming this uh, end of this dynasty too early. And I said like, hey. You thought the booze during Chris Mullins' uh, jersey night was bad. The retirement night was bad. Like, wait till you actually, like, pull the wheels off this thing before it's actually over. Like, I, I he's not going to be remembered for, you know, being the owner that, you know, ushered in this uh, ushered in this new era the, with a dynasty. He's going to be remembered. Jerry Krause doesn't get remembered for being the architect of the Bulls. He gets remembered for being the dude that broke him up after they won another three-peat. Like, that's how history is going to remember Joe Lacob. And – so from that aspect, like I think Lacob, I see it like he seems like a smart businessman, and like the guy obviously, yeah, no, the guy without a doubt is 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 he's a like smart man, a smart no guy. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from Joe Lacob as a person, as a businessman, what he's done for this franchise. Um, but you owe it to Steph, especially Steph. He's the organization. You owe it to him to have, a, have give him a chance to cement one of the greatest careers of all time. He's got four championships, two MVPs been to six finals, ushered in the dynasty of this era as as the main piece. He's been there. He's under contract till at least 2026, I think, is when Steph Steele runs out. At least until then, you owe it to the guy to to win as much as possible. Like you don't get to you don't get to a career like this very often. Um and for Steph to have a window still of you know two to three years, four years, whatever it is, to still be a champion, um to end his career with, if he ends his career with five, six, seven rings, whatever it is, like that's all time great stuff. And you don't see that. And that's an all time great franchise. It's not just like all time great stuff. And then after yeah, that's that, that's an all time great for the franchise. And like that's your franchise. That's money coming in for you. That's so whatever you're spending, whatever you're earning, like it's obviously all going back into this team. And there's no other person that deserves it more than Steph Curry with the chance to cement his legacy. And for everything that he's done for this team, for everything that he's done for this franchise, the Bay Area, he's already—I think he's the greatest athlete in Bay Area history, sport, Bay Area sports history, as including Joe Montana, uh, Jerry Rice, all these guys, dynastic players. Steph Curry is such a different player, such a game changer. You owe it to him, like you owe it to Steph to give him a chance to like cement his legacy. Because 
he's right there. You're, you're at four rings and he's very much like capable of, of putting a team on his back and, and still winning at this level. So there's that, that's my only take from this entire thing. Like you can't pivot off Steph for everything he's done. Um, you owe it to him. I don't care if they don't win another ring. Um, you go down with that ship. They've, they haven't lost a series when they're healthy. Um, you just give him the pieces, Steve Kerr, Steph, Clay, Draymond, and just let the let the ball roll, man. Like wherever it ends, um, and I don't see it ending without at least one more championship. Yeah, it's 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 insane that this those three guys have not lost in the Western Conference since 2014. It's insane. It's it's crazy, and so there's that. And I also just want to point out, like there's kind of there's these two different types of franchises, right? We have the Lakers and the Celtics who have these like sustained excellence franchises that are always these marquee destinations for anybody because you know whether it was the 60s and. Russell or the eighties and bird for the Celtics um, or the, you know, the eighties for the Lakers and the two thousands for the Lakers, right. Those teams just, they, they did go to the wheels fell off. Essentially. They never tried to stop winning. Like even, you know, towards the end of Kobe's prime, when, when that team was, they were, they were a mess, right. They still traded for Nash. They can make, they still traded for Howard. They can make it go for something. They got Powell in the middle of all that. Um, obviously magic, uh, getting sick in the early nineties changed that franchise, but it wasn't for a lack of trying. They got to the finals. I think the year before that, um, Larry Bird's back broke down, right? We're not seeing that with Steph right now. Like those franchises stayed great because they surrounded their best players of talent. And to this day, those are legendary franchises because of what they did, right? Because of those, those moments, right? With those players and the Warriors, if they were to take out, like you said, five, six, maybe who knows five, five or six, probably where this caps off. I don't know. Right. I think Steph is one of the five best players ever. So you never know. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows this caps out. And I think that's how you, that's how you turn your franchise into a historic marquee destination. That other, t- other players want to go to. Uh, I also just want to say, just, I thought this is really interesting in that, you know, the article was, we didn't, I don't know if we, we mentioned this explicitly, but it was, it was written to kind of expose specifically the disconnect between Bob Myers and Lake of, right. And, um, the possibility that Bob Myers walks in the offseason just based on a number of, of factors. But one of them that I found most interesting that is possibly most telling, and I've heard this, I think, both from Slater and Thompson so far, is just that, you know, Bob loves these guys. Like, he loves Steph. He loves yeah. Ray. He loves Clay. He lo- he and Steve are, like, good friends. Um, and it sounds a lot like, and again, only because I've heard this more than once now, that's when it starts becoming like, oh, shit, this is, like, a real thing. He doesn't want to be the guy that trades Clay if that's the thing the Warriors or Lakers yeah. wants to do, he doesn't want to be the guy that trades Draymond. If that's the thing that, um, hard conversation. These guys do, have been right? together for a decade, man. Like, it's kind of I mean, like, Hey, if you're going to do this, I don't want any part in it kind of thing is my impression. So TBD, I think if Bob does resign, it's a really good sign for where this yeah. team's headed. Not because of like, I think Bob is really good, but I think it's more so an indication that this franchise is going to try to stay together for a bit, um, and figure things out. It would just be a colossal failure to, to go in any direction besides like what you were saying and, and uh, against what 30 wants. Like it's, it's been so hard to, it's so hard to get here. Like it's so hard to win one. And the fact that you've been able to get four in in a decade and still have a chance to compete, like you, that, that's your best, that's your best timeline to win championships. And to to Lacob's credit, like they've found young guys that have, you know, fit in with pool and Kuminga. You have a young and you have Wiggins, like you have a young core. Like it's not like it's just an old old core and like you're surrounding them with like, you know, vet men's or whatever it is. You have guys that you've paid that are ready to, you know, take that next step or whatever that is. But you know, you you have you have the pieces, you have a top, you know, whatever it is, seven, six, seven that we've that we've been talking about. It's a mix of old guys and young guys. It's just building off of that. So it, it's it's there and it's not necessarily even just like, hey, Lake of like move off everything that you've thought of. It's more so you're, you're bridging two generations and it's hard to do. And, you know, they found a couple pieces that have been, that are, are going to be that bridge. So I, do, I don't see outside of an ego thing. I don't see where Lakeup's like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Like that we have sustained excellence for the next, you know, even after staff retires, you guys still have pool, you know, Wiggins, hopefully he's there as well. Looney, whatever it is, like you're going to be able to get that. And I think Patrick Baldwin Jr. is another young guy that can fit in. Like you have pieces that, that are young and can, can be ushered into this, you know, core in this, this era of basketball, but you know, it, it is, it does it more and more sound like just disconnect. And, uh, you know, I hope, I hope Bob Myers is back, man, that, that, that guy's has done everything for this franchise. Yeah. I just, you gotta hope so. And it's, it's crazy. Just when you think about all the young guys, right. I don't, 
in all likelihood, in, in in more than likelihood, it's almost a guarantee that Wiseman is never as good as Draymond is right at this instant at age 32. It's it's almost even post Achilles, post ACL, it's not likely or even remotely likely that Moody is as good as Clay right now at any point in his career. Um, it's also not likely that we have one whole podcast without a shout out from our friends at Anchor. So we're going to take a quick break, guys, and we'll be back to talk a little more about listener questions and uh, the upcoming schedule. Yo, 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 guys, what is up? And welcome back to this episode of the Game Seeds Clay podcast. Shout out, Matt, for that uh, timely anchor. Uh, shout out, uh, anchor. As always, guys, send us the memos, man. It's it's, it's it's the recession at this point. Like, come on, let's let's get some let's get some extra cash here. Um, but uh before before we go on the break, uh covered a lot of stuff, man. Um, just the way the Warriors are looking. Um, you know, the whole lake of timeline thing uh that we've talked about. Hope you guys enjoyed that little segment. We had a lot of fun <clears> talking <throat> about it. Um, but as always, we want to get to your guys' questions. We love when you guys send us in some some questions, some thoughts you want you want us to break down. Um, so Matt, I know you got one uh, regarding OG and Obi uh, for the three that we have today. Uh, so I'll let you I'll let you kick it off, man. What's what's the uh, what's the take or the question? Yeah, it's not so much a question. Just our guy um, Nidish. I think I have your name right, man. But if I don't, please uh, shoot us a pronunciation tweet after this pod, man. But we're loving uh, we're loving your input recently, man, and appreciating you uh, you following along. So uh, we had a little interaction just talking about OG and Obi to the Warriors. What that would kind of look like. Um, OG's been a target that I've wanted the Warriors for a long time. And I think he's just, he's a perfect guy to have on this team. He's a perfect guy to close games next to Draymond between him and Wiggins. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I think in all likelihood, the Warriors aren't adding that kind of salary at 17 million bucks. And it would take basically Moody Wiseman, um, you know, one of Jamichael Green, Ryan Rollins, and probably a couple first round picks. Uh, I'm somebody who's just kind of like big on just, Fuck them picks. You know what I mean? Like this is a <laughs> no for real, man. It's what are we what are we doing here, right? Again, you got Steph, and if, if the youth movement is real, if you actually believe in guys like J.K. and Poole, um, twenty six and twenty eight shouldn't be that important right now, uh, just because again you're you're competing for titles. So I would love to see that move. I think he's the kind of guy where you trade for him now, and then depending on what happens in the postseason, you can kind of reassess in the summer and see what needs to happen and. Um, you know, in the event that Draymond leaves, which I, it's all we talked about, like the the dynasty breaking up, kind of because of Lake of you know shenanigans. It's also possible Draymond just bounces. Like it's not likely, yeah, but no, totally, he's totally. he's been making some cryptic comments here and there of late. Um, but how much of that do you think is like just due to dysfunction? Oh no, sure. Yeah, I'm not saying like I'm not saying they should let him go. They should try everything that power. Yeah. Team. But I'm just saying if you if you lose Draymond, having a four like Anobi who's a different type of defender. He's an incredible on-ball defender, and he's um, he's also a freak off the ball, but not again, not at the same level as Draymond in that sense. Um, that's a great guy to have in the like, at Draymond insurance um, if things were to go south there. And even if you even if Draymond stays, I'm going to be real. Like Ananobi is he's great, and so in the off season, I'm just saying if you have to choose between Pool or Wiggins or Ananobi, I think that becomes a real conversation all of a sudden that I don't think it's silly. I know we love Pool. I do love Pool despite some of my comments of late, but you know, it's uh it's a wings league in a lot of ways and having um even getting off again, love Wiggins too. The guy's been a he's been an absolute warrior since he got here. Uh wouldn't want to move off. But I just think having the option to potentially upgrade or take care of the roster in a better sense is not a bad thing. And I would hundred percent be willing to, you know, flip Wiseman Moody and couple first and even a swap for Brandon Obi, maybe put some protections on one of those picks, but um, that's the kind of guy that, again, if I'm also, if I'm Lacob or I'm Bob Myers or whoever, having, you know, a future front court or a starting lineup of Poole, Wiggins, Kuminga, Ananobi, and Looney in five years doesn't sound horrible to me. Obviously, that'd be hard to maintain um, roster and cap wise, but again, just giving yourselves options what this team needs to do right now. So, TBD, I don't think it happens. Um, and I think. It, unless they include some unprotected picks in that deal, I think they can get outbid pretty easily. But with that all being said, they don't look to be the market for a major, major upgrade right now as it is. But fingers crossed, one can hope. Um, but Gotham, how about we get to those some of those listener questions we got, man? Number two, hey, you knocked that one out of the park, man. That was that was beautiful to hear. Um, second question uh, today is from Zora Neil Thurston. I love your uh, handle. Um, made me chuckle when I read that. Uh, but his uh their question is, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about why the Poole, Clay, Curry, Wiggins, Dre lineups have not worked offensively. 
It's no surprise that they struggle defensively, but their O rating, 116.4, is actually 10 points worse than the normal starting lineup with Loon, 127.6. I think that's a really interesting question, um, and I think that uh, it's 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 valid. Um, I think that you know we saw that lineup um, have so much success in that Nuggets series, um, just with um, being able to take advantage of a guy like Jokic, um, just having three superstar scorers, um, being able to have their will. I honestly think it's – I don't know if you can play Poole, Clay, and Steph together um, just with, you know, obviously JP, Clay, and, and Steph are great off the ball, but it feels like one of those three is going to – okay, I'll take Steph out of it, honestly. I think one of those two in Poole and Clay, and Poole and Clay just don't get their rhythm going um, within that lineup, whether it's JP or Clay. Um, there's just so many there's only a certain amount of shots that go around and that can get generated so having a having a guy like dante in that lineup in for say a pool or a clay you can see it like the ball is moving better you got two main guys and steph and you know either play uh, clay or pool so i think that just the way that the shots are being generated for especially guys like pool and clay you know uh Jordan is obviously great on the ball. He's just got an insane first step, can can get to the rim, also can can uh, hit three. And Clay, obviously being the catch and shoot guy that he is, um, it just feels like that. Correct me if I'm wrong, Matt. Just from me watching, it just seems like it's a little clunky. Um, and obviously Wiggins being a little um, just under the weather and, and just rehabbing back has been obviously another uh, issue with that lineup. But um, I think having a guy that isn't necessarily a scorer. Uh, in Dante um, and can play make ne- in that same, you know, five man lineup in for one of those guys next to Steph, I think works better. Um, and then not having Loon, I think obviously Loon is, is such a great um, asset to the team in terms of just his ability to screen rebound. Um, you know, he knows how to play with guys like Steph Clay and Draymond. So um, I think him elevating the offense is no surprise, um, but yeah, it, it is a little clunky with those guys out there. And then defensively, they're they're obviously not not nearly as good as some of the other lineups that they can throw out. So um, it has been a struggle. Um, I, I, I want to see how, you know, Kerr said he's going to, you know, obviously play around with anything that comes. So um, good to see. But, I mean, you know, the the threat of that lineup, obviously, is just the the ability that if they all get hot, it's it's, it's game over. So um, it's kind of high risk, high reward. And we haven't really seen the, the reward as such yet. But, you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll get there. Yeah, I think I think you put it really like literally kindly. Like I would not be that nice about it. Um, <laughs> I, it's just there's a number of reasons in my opinion. Like one, you, you kind of pointed out the shot distribution thing. Again, nicer words than I will. I just think you have two guys in Clay and Poole who are less efficient scorers than Steph is. Both of whom want to shoot the ball more than Steph does, uh, and are more willing to take fair. silly shots than than Steph is. So that's a problem on its own. You have two guys, and again, I I love Clay. He's been lights out for six weeks now, and he looks like he's back. He's he back. looks like he's as back as he's going to be. And if he comes, if he comes more back, hey, we love more back. That's great, man. Um, but again, you got you got two guys who are they? They really look for their own more than they're looking for Steph's. And if Steph Curry's on the court, you can do that. You can handle that with one of Poole and Clay on the court, right? That's that's pretty straightforward. Um, but with two of those guys, it's really tough. Second, it's just it's just transition basketball. So. That team is not their defense. Like good defense leads to offense, right? Stops leading mm-hmm. transition ball, and they're not this team. That group doesn't get stopped because, like you said, that three those those three guards specifically aren't guys I want um, on the perimeter on defense together. Okay, and they're not getting stops, and as such, they're not getting out in transition. Um, and their transition decent defense is the, is the same problem too, right? That's that's part of the defensive issue. They're not if they're not scoring, the other team can run down their throat pretty easily. Thank God for Draymond being who he is, but still that lineup's not working. So. I fully agree, but I think it's pretty straightforward. I don't think we need to look too deep, right? It's just yeah. uh, they're it's, too small, it's one of those, like, too many chuckers. Uh, they don't they, too small, too many chuckers, and they don't. Uh, they can't get they out. Don't defend as well as they right? need to. I mean, you can't get if that team could get out in transition, right? Let's say one of Poole and Clay or both those guys are stoppers, and you're getting stops. Oh my god, can you imagine? Which is right? what they did against Denver. Yeah, nothing, different different ball game, right? Depleted Denver and the perfect you know drop center and Jokic that they could really abuse, but. Um, yeah, I don't think that one's too complicated, guys. And I think that's going to be one that within the next little bit, we see kind of Kurt going away from as a as a staple. And like you said, the defense, they're negative 3.8 net rating. Um, not going to work. I am super intrigued to see uh, Kuminga in 
in Poole's place in that lineup. Not at the same position, obviously, seeing him at the four, where he's at the three, then Stephen mm-hmm. Clay, where they belong, the one and the two. I think that's a lineup that I could see, you know, if Kaminga keeps trending where he's supposed to, just ri- ripping through uh, most lineups in the league. Because I, I, I just think the space is there. You have an active rim threat in Kaminga. You have um, three guys who are really good defensively, range from really good to great defensively. And then um, I feel good with Clay as, you know, a fourth defender in that group against most yeah. guys, whether it's a forward or a guard. So that's something that's, I hope that's kind of the beauty to. of this team at this point. Like they have, they have guys where a lineup where, you know, arguably your five best players is not your best lineup. So you have guys that you can plug in like Kuminga, like a DiVincenzo, um, the Looney, obviously. So that's, it, it's a good problem to have where, you know, your best, maybe the hooping five man group is not your best line lineup. Um, so, you know, like you said, I think it's, it's, it's one of those where, um, it'll, it's, it's going to get figured out. I think, it, I think it's a good lineup to use in, in certain situations. Like you said, yeah, if you, you got to get drop two or three quick buckets, stops, it's great. You know, it's you got to get it's, a it's few fast love it. Yeah. I love it. Hey, I think we knocked that question out. Zora, let us know if, uh, or how we did on that one. Um, but appreciate the question. And our last one for today is from uh, Alexis, uh, been a great uh, follower of ours, giving us a few questions here. Um, I, I really like this one, actually. It's, it's a good it's a good NBA question, to be honest. Um, her question is, do you believe accountability needs to happen to referees? Should fines and suspensions happen? Is the NBA's last two minutes report pointless? How does it change anything? At what point do referees need to be held accountable? I think it's a great question. I, I think it's a great topic in general. Um Obviously not one that's going to get solved anytime soon, I don't think. But um, we're seeing, especially this year, like, you know, we, as Warriors fans, I feel like, you know, we always feel like the refs are against us. And, it, it you know, if we, for right or wrong, you always say everything that Steph does, it feels like it's a foul and he's not getting the calls. But this year especially has felt – Warriors as well, but, like, it's league-wide, man. You saw it even last night in that uh, Celtics-Lakers game um, – LeBron clearly gets hacked on the arm to, to you know, give a chance to win. It goes overtime, they lose. Um, I, I do think the refs need uh, more accountability. I think there's no – each game is so different. I think every ref has a different way that they referee games. And um, that's hard on players. You know, you, you see guys like Jordan Poole, Steph, Clay, like they're, they're arguing with referees, like with, you know, what do you expect me to do? I'm moving, you know, I'm in a perfect defensive slide and you're calling a foul. Like I'm not doing anything, you're calling a foul. Like – I, I do think that there needs to be accountability for referees. Um, I, I don't know if suspensions is, is necessarily how they're going to go about it. Um, but, you know, I think that there has to be something because it, it's ruining the product. Um, that Memphis game was so clunky with just so many, not even good foul calls. Like if, if there's a, if this is a tough physical game and, you know, you have to call fouls, to like, you know, keep the game under control or whatever it is from, you know, spiraling out. I get it. You know, we've seen clunky games in the past, but you call it ticky tack, like little, little hand check, like not even reach fouls, like off the ball, so many bad calls, like the calls that, you know, you're not getting, you're not, that you're expecting to get called later in the game are not getting called. Like, I, I do think that referees need to have some sort of accountability. Um, it's ruining the product. Um, and for Adam Silver to have, you know, so many national TV games that are just being whistled up and down, like it's not fun to watch. You can see why. You know, the NFL is beating out the NBA in terms of ratings. Like, you haven't – you're not you getting free throw basketball. I like that you bring up the national TV game because that's that's actually huge. Like, that Laker-Boston game last night, um, I, I didn't catch – I caught the first two games, the Brooklyn and the New York game. Yeah, and, I, didn't, uh, I didn't see that game either. I the saw Sixers, the Sixers uh, – Sixers-Nuggets. Sixers-Nuggets game, both great games. Uh, but – it's just it's that's the biggest stage, right? And that's that's those that's one of your marquee matchups. That's your rivalry week uh, special game, and to have just a blatant missed call like that again, it's, you don't lose a game in the fourth quarter. You don't lose a game on one call, right? It's a forty-eight minute game, and every second of every minute counts the same in the end, right? The final score. Um, I cut you off. I just really thought that was a good point, though, talking about the national TV stage and just kind of it being an embarrassment and sort of a bad product. But keep going. Yeah, no, and like that's that's kind of where it's at, where it's like. You know, you you come to watch the players play. Um, you know, and I I had an issue with Steph getting ejected for the mouthpiece. Obviously, like you know, technically that's that's technically the uh, what's it called the, the ejectionable offense. Um, but it's a it's a minute left in in a game that's just back and forth. Obviously, it was not directed towards a referee or anything. It was frustration. 
I, I don't see how you throw it. You don't throw out your best player in crunch, uh, like the best player on the court in crunch time. And yeah, I mean, if this was somebody else, maybe they do the same thing. Like I, I see where that was coming, but even stuff like that, where it's like, I, I want to see more just like common sense being used in some of these, uh, in some of these calls and like to the referee's credit or to their, like to the credit, like, I don't think that you're going to miss calls. Like it's not, it's not, it's not a thing where it's like, you have to be perfect to, um, you know, uphold the, the standard, but like, there's a lot of stuff that uh, you can get away with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there needs to be some sort of accountability. Um, yeah. I think the last two minutes report is an absolute joke. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, I don't think really anybody this. gives a shit about, no. No, hey, no, they no. missed five calls against the Warriors uh, down the street. Hey, we still fucking lost the game. Like, it doesn't help. Like, uh, it's, it's just, I think abolish also- that shit. Just get better. Like, just be more consistent. Um, I think just the, the parody with referees of how they referee games – it needs to be the the guidelines need to be the same. I think we, we see so many different stuff on a nightly basis that it's like I don't know. We don't know what's right at this point. Like so one day something's a foul, one day it's not. So um, yeah, I mean, how you do that, I don't know. Um, I don't think that I don't like maybe finding referees, but like again, like what like what's their excuses going to be or their their arguments going to be? Hey, we can't see it. It's a, it's a fast paced game. We're going to miss calls. So I don't I don't know how you go about the accountability thing, but having the last two minutes report where you genuinely, where you see the missed calls and you see nothing happen out of it. I think it's a league wide problem. And um, yeah, and my biggest, like my biggest issue with it is um, how this impacts just the game. Um, like you said, like marquee matchups again, um, taken over by referee whistles. Um, that's not what you want to see. Um, and that that's, it's a product thing at the end of the day, like the NBA is a business and, and you, you want that business to be, um, focus on the players, not not the uh, the referees making the the calls. So that, that's my take on it. But. Yeah, I, I agree for the most part. It is just I I, I think LeBron's reaction was extreme, right? I mean, it's yeah. I mean, rough, and again, but, how is that not a technical? Like, how is that not? Uh, yeah, like, it's super demonstrative. But it's more keep it, like, if that was Draymond Green. Like that's that he's ejected from that game. Like yeah. he acted. He looked like Steph Curry after he won the championship. Like he's got there yeah, crying on funny. the court. Like and like yo, like like LeBron did get fouled. Like I'm not. I'm not going to say that he's like, you know, making that shit up. He did get hacked on the arm again, but do you end a game on a foul call like that? Like that, like such a back and forth game. It's tough. Again, it's a tough, it's a tough business. I, I'm not a referee. I haven't refereed a game. Uh, when I played basketball, I hated referees. So like, Hey, um, I, I I'm, I'm on the player side on this one, but that's a great question, Alexis. Um, I think it's an, it's an issue for, for a long, yeah. uh, for, for a long time. It is reasonable, and again, this this year, I don't know if we say this every year, we might, but this year feels especially egregious. I'm, I'm no. as far as like playing reps, I kind of grew up on the opposite side. My dad was my coach most of my life. My dad is like to the book, like kind of what I was saying. That he rubs off a lot of me, of course, and saying things like, you know, games won and lost here. You're not, you generally don't lose a game because of a rep. I mean, the Lakers could have hit a jumper earlier in the game, of course, but very uh, true, very true. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that these guys aren't actively and pretty explicitly changing games in a lot of ways. And I think every fan base thinks this about their team probably, but when it comes to the Warriors, especially it just seems like we see Steph looking like he just fought, um, you know, rabid dogs for hours, right? He's got slices on his arms, half the games. He shoots not again, given, given the amount of damage he takes in the game, it's five and a half of the game is insane. Um, I don't, I don't think finding refs is a good move. I think we kind of forget these guys make good money. They make three, I think anywhere from two to $400,000 a year, which, you know, fuck yeah, it's good. Yeah, for great money. But also they're not making like finding a ref is not like finding LeBron, right? If you find a ref 10 grand, it's a lot different than finding LeBron 20 grand for a tech. So I don't know like, how I feel about taking people's money based on, you know, yeah. like, subjective job. But I do think we have things. I forget where I saw this. This is not my own idea. Somebody, people, many people have said this, but giving refs like, pretty public game scores from a bipartisan committee where you can kind of see how well they did. And that can maybe reflect like incentives for them. Maybe it reflects um, playoff eligibility for referees, stuff like that, where we can just see like, Hey, this is where things That's got messed up. It's a little more simple, a little more straightforward. And it's not, but it's, it's gotta be a, again, if Steph can get upset at a bad call and get a T the ref should have some kind of accountability for making the bad call in the first place. And, you know, I just I think there's got to be some changes there, but I think it's a really good question. I think just something's got to change because it just feels like it feels personal sometimes. Sometimes it feels egregious in a way that you know really surpasses what you can attribute to missing a call with mm-hmm. the eye. You know what I mean? It's just it's tough. Not you can't blame players, especially 
and you feel for players in this Western Conference, especially right now, where every game is important. Every game is really important. And it's not to say that uh, you know, the, the Hornets don't get pissed off at bad calls. They certainly do, but you know, the Lakers, LeBron shooting his free throw. LeBron going one for two at the line, which he probably would have after that wins the game. You know what I mean? So right. yeah, I, I understand the I understand the the frustration and I I think there's gotta be changes, there's gotta be something because this year has just been it's been clunky, Next level. it's been rough, level, it's bro. been inconsistent in a way I don't think we've seen before. But I think we're probably mostly on the same page here. We all agree there's gotta be some change. Um finding I'm I'm not I'm not pro finding anybody for the most part, you know what I mean? But uh yeah, I think there's got to be something to happen to hold hold officials accountable, though. Definitely, definitely. Alexis, thank you so much for that question. And everybody else that submitted one, thank you. Uh, we appreciate it. We love doing the, uh, you know, kind of answering what you guys have. Glad that you guys want to hear what we have, what our thoughts on it. You know, um, it's always always fun to always fun to you know get in touch with what what the listeners are, are feeling. Uh, Matt, before we get out of here and uh, to this uh, Niners Eagles NFC Championship game. Um, we got four games coming up before I think we're going to record again. Um, three games, road trip, Thunder, uh, Minnesota, Denver, and then a home game against, uh, Luca and the Mavs, uh, before we uh, record again next Sunday. Um, what's your, what's your thoughts, man? What, what's, what's the record? Um, what do they need? Uh, what, what do you see happening uh, on this trip? So I'm kind of in a weird spot. I think if they win the first two, I think they can go four. No. And I think if they lose one of the first two, I have no idea. I just think this team is on like, such a precipice of either figuring it out or, or not, you know what I mean? So if they win it for a couple of games and the Thunder aren't, the Thunder are good, like straight out, they're just good. And yeah, the, the Wolves are a tough that, team to play. Um, if, if they can come out of both those two games on the road, especially right, this team, we know this team has been on the road. It's been a little better of late, you know, going three and two in the last road trip was way more of an accomplishment than I think it should, should have been. Right. But, um, yeah, I think it could be, it could be two and two, depending on how the first two games go. I don't think it just feels safe to bet 500 in this team because it feels just that's what they do. But again, if they win those first two, I can see the some momentum and some confidence kind of remain them and them, you know, coming out guns blazing against the Nuggets, whom, you know, a lot of people are picking to come out the West now. We know that the Warriors take those kinds of things personally, right? There's not a rivalry there. I think they really respect Jokic from all indications. Draymond loves Jokic. Mm-hmm. Because like I talk about Jokic and how, um, how brilliant he is. So I think it's just, it's a big game. It's a national TV game. And I think that that Mavericks game, same thing, right? I think it's an ABC game. Um, that's a huge game in the standings. I think the Mavericks are either third or fourth right now. I want to say. I think they're sixth. And oh, they're, so even, even closer, right? Even closer. And they that's lost huge, yesterday. I want to say. Huge. So they're they're on a free fall. Huge too. flip. Huge flip. And this is a huge week. Um, all Western Conference opponents by the end of the week. It's not, it's not inconceivable. The Warriors are fourth in the West. Um, it's unlikely given their history this year, but, uh, depending on how things go, I, I don't even have a prediction. Man. I'm going to say two and two, if they lose one of the first two and as, as good as three and one or four and oh, if they win the first two. Hey man, scare money. Don't make money Four and oh, uh, no, I'm playing. Um, I think, they, it, do, I think they lose that. Uh, I think they lose the Nuggets game. I, I want to say the NBA has been screwing the Warriors over with some of these back end of the back to backs. Oh my like, God, man. Marquee matchups and teams that. They had two against New Orleans. Um, this Denver one. There's there been a couple uh, on some road trips, so just some weird back to back scheduling. But I think if they can go through, I think three and one it should be the goal. Um, like you said, they're playing all Western Conference opponents coming up. Um, teams that are in this fight: uh, the Thunder, the T Wolves, um, the Mavs. Um, obviously, the Nuggets are a little. They've separated themselves, but. Um, it's a perfect opportunity, man. This is the test. This is the this is the thing that we've been wanting to see from this team um, all year. You know, putting it together. I think um, the fact that they're all on the road too was going to speed volumes if they can actually pull these out. And um, it feels like they've made this. Like we said earlier in the episode, man, it feels like they've they've turned the corner at least for me. Um, but now we got to see it. Um, so a big big stretch. Um, hopefully, the next time we're recording, um, you know, they're. Will that make them 28 and 26 or whatever, 28, 25? Um, that again, like you could be, you could be top four in the West with a good week. Um, and you could be bottom, bottom, you know, 13 <laughs> with a bad week. So, um, it's, it's a very important time of the season. I think this next, this next stretch, like we said, till all-star break, um, is going to be paramount to where this team ends up and, and what their seed is going to be going into the playoffs. But, um, liking what I'm like, like we said, man, like what we see. So I'm going to go three and one. Um, saw three and one. Um, 
before our next episode. Love it. Um, Love but before it. we get out of here, Matt, as always, um, we got a new writer in the house, uh, Mr. Matt Cardoza. Um, shout out Chuck also. Go check out his new uh, PBJ piece um, on Swish Theory. Um, haven't read it yet myself, but uh, Chuck stuff is always always a fun read. So uh, check that one out. But Matt, you got anything in the works, man? Yeah, I know I've got the uh, Mavericks game recap coming on Sunday. So Sunday's going to be a heavy content day from the uh, Game Takes Clay Pod for sure. So stay tuned for that. I kind of can't remember if I have any of the next few of the uh, Thunder Timberwolves or or Nuggets. Um, but yeah, guys, just keep stay tuned. I'm trying to. I've been really enjoying being back in the in the writing game, and I'm stoked to be writing for a GSW Fast Break. It's been fun so far, and just a really cool community so far to be a part of. Um, really good time, guys. So keep it up. Uh, the, the office gifts are still going. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm always trying to include more, uh, expand my horizons in the gift game. So please, if you have any movies or shows you think that I should become familiar with, so as to, you know, get better with my gifts, please let me know. That's the most important thing. It goes gifts, um, game six clay, and then sorry, game six clay slash GSW, uh, fast break. And then, uh, it's everything else. So please gifts first. If you have suggestions, fire them away. Okay. I love it. Go check out Matt's stuff, man. His first piece was great. Um, that breakdown. What was the which game was it? Um, Bulls game? No, they they won this game. I forget what game it was now already. Um, I compared yeah. it to Ned Stark having his head cut off. That's all I know, man. Yeah, I, remember, I read it though. It was a great, great piece. So check out Matt's stuff, man. Good. Thanks, it's great guys. to see the boys uh, back on the uh, the ride and grind. Um, for me, hey man. By the time you guys hear this, I think the Niners are going to be in the Super Bowl. Uh, we got, we got, there's a path to victory. Everybody's down us. Uh, we've been here, lost. Heartbreak is, the, this is the only way I've ever learned about heartbreak in my life. So ladies, don't phase me. It's only the Niners. Um, <laughs> but, uh, hopefully at the end of this, we, uh, we are on our, on our way to Glendale. Um, go Niners, man. That's my only shout out. Playoff beard. Got the jersey on, um, kickoffs in 30 minutes. So, um, until then, man, let's, let's go Niners. Let's go Warriors. Um, Giants figure it out, man. We, we got, we got time before baseball season, but, um, okay, until then, man, appreciate you guys as always for listening. Um, uh, keep following, keep, uh, you know, giving us your t- shout outs, your, your thoughts, your takes, whatever you want to see on the pod. We, we're down. Um, check out the YouTube and, uh, yeah, man, until the next one. Peace. State Warriors advance to their fifth consecutive Western Conference Final for the second straight year. They eliminate the Rockets here in Houston as they take this series in six games and they win game six without Kevin Durant. Just a painful way to end the season once again for Chris Paul, James Harden, and the Rockets.